The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So as we continue this sitting, I'd like to offer you something to reflect on. And the theme of this reflection is transformation, personal transformation. If you want to hike up a steep mountain and manage to get to the top far, far away, you might use your thinking to plan the route, figure out the rest stops, and your thinking might help you. But you could also prepare by becoming stronger, build up strength of your legs, your stamina, there can be a physical transformation that makes it easier to hike up the mountain. If you want to do a difficult task, sometimes it can help if you have confidence and you cultivate confidence, it means to transform yourself, to become somehow a little different than you were before to be a person who is supported by something that's closer to an emotional state than a pure cognitive state, that of confidence. So over your lifetime, or over your time of practicing Buddhism, what way Have you been transformed so that you might be more ethical than you were before? What, what has changed in who you are, the structure of your being? What are some of the ways do you think that people become transformed so they become 
they become more ethical. So not that they act more ethically necessarily, it isn't, but rather they become their being, the structure of their being in a sense, they become ethical. What kind of transformation makes that possible? So what I'd like us to consider a little bit, since this Dharma practice days are about ethics, being ethical, the distinction between acting ethically and being ethical might not be clear the difference, but acting ethically is the actual activities that express our 
with, you know, the, the actions are ethical. And it's possible that someone could act ethically by accident. <laughs> and um, so, you know, don't lie. And um, you ask them, you know, they haven't been outside all day. They haven't looked out a window. And you ask them, what's the weather like? And they say, well, I'm not going to let them know that I don't know. I'll just make something up. It's sunny. It turns out they're right. So in a sense, it was an honest statement. But the person is not being ethical because the person is not really speaking from what the person knows to be true. It, it could have been a lie in a sense or just a delusion to speak that way. But to be ethical, to become an ethical person is a person who is inclined, has a disposition uh, to behave, to think, to feel, to conceptualize the world in ethical terms. And so, and so the, the idea is it's possible to be transformed. We don't, in a, it's possible to be transformed in such a way be, we become more ethical. And uh, so it becomes who we are. So just like, you know, you work out in the gym, you become stronger. You're transformed into a stronger person. You learn a foreign language. In a sense, you're transformed into someone who can talk the foreign language or you could, um, you know, all kinds of things you can learn, develop. And um, so, what about this being, what, what kind of transformation transforms a person into becoming more ethical? What are some of the different kinds of transformations? What are some of the things, the things that can change and shift? So that's the topic. What do you think of this? Is that confusing or? Yes. Is it to anything? The, um, I mean, I know I know someone <clears throat> who uh, was responsible for an automobile accident that killed someone. Someone died in the accident. He was responsible for it. That transformed him. He changed his whole life. You know, and, and uh, his life became he, he became an ethical person in a way he wasn't before dedicated to serving people and not causing harm, and he was changed. It's never going to be the same, that person, after that. So not just, not just from practice. There's, you know, life experiences can, you know, can just transform you, and you're never the same again. So to be transformed. And sometimes the transformations are small. It can be as small as uh, realizing that uh, it's stressful to lie and no longer willing to put up with stress. So you feel, you feel a certain degree. Finally, you're able to relax a little bit. And that relaxed state is a transformed state compared to the stress the person was living under. And that transforms that transformation into a more relaxed body translates to becoming more, wanting to be more ethical. Don't want, don't want to live with that stress again. And it's, it's a, you know, 
not so much about the harm out there, but the harm to yourself. Yes, Ellen. You can speak loudly and I'll try to repeat it. So, so in, 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 a, in a prison situation, the people that you've met, they were transformed into e- becoming more ethical, partly because they were willing to experience, feel, uh, deal with their early pain of their life, their pain. Then they had good role models and examples and ways of connecting to a more ethical life. So what, did I say that accurate? Yeah. Yeah, so sometimes... Uh, you know, certainly some unethical behavior has to do with uh, 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 dysfunctional ways of dealing with the th- pain, avoiding pain. And so sometimes if you get transformed into a, by opening to the pain and dealing with it, the person becomes changed. <laughs> and then in our group this morning we were talking about cultural aspects to that we've all been in cultures in which the norm is to lie and people are trying to uh, not hurt your feelings so they lie to you thinking their intention is, is perhaps good but they, they do that all the time and it's culturally so, so yeah, so it's culturally supported. It's expected. And um, how are you? Fine. <laughs> or, or where is my car? Oh, it'll be right here. <laughs> yeah. The plane will be taking off soon. <laughs> that kind of stuff. The um, yeah. So, so it's having examples of something else can. I mean, I was transformed to small ways by uh, coming to San Francisco Zen Center and um, encountering people's generosity. So, because I had never really experienced that the way I experienced there, and and um, so the example, the model of something shows a possibility. So transformations, it can, it's a whole gamut of things can include transformations, but there is a kind of change, and, and it's not a change just in thinking. It's not just simply you understand something new now in a cognitive way. Something deeper shifts. So, yes. Um, when we were sitting just now, I became aware that it's a movement of the heart. It's a movement, yeah. Yeah, that, uh, and for me, it's uh, seeing the pain that I've caused others and resolving not to do that again, to do better, Uh and self-reflection. So the movement of the heart, feeling the pain of causing suffering to others, and then not wanting to do that again, being changed by that experience. Being sensitive now, have a heightened sensitivity to that. And the um, in Theravada Buddhism, that 
the, the guardians of the world, the protectors of the world, is um, what's called hiri and otapa, ethical movements of the heart. And um, hiri is um, uh, fear of causing harm. And otapa is, um, I don't know if there's best English translation, but it's the, um, I might have the words reversed, but anyway, uh, the um, shame, usually translated in English, shame for having caused harm. But maybe it's more, maybe shame is a heavy Latin word here in the West. So maybe it's better word is something like um, regret. <clears throat> you know, if you, if you cause your best friend a lot of harm and you go, you know, skipping down the road, whistling Dixie, you're like, something's wrong, right? You know, if you're really tuned in, you, you're going to feel bad, you feel off. So that, that those two qualities are considered um, guardians of the world and they can be awakened in people. So something wakes, wakes up that capacity. So transformation. Is there a better word than transformation? Some of you, prefer, you can think of another one. Yes. Then might say the same thing. Awakening. Awakening, maybe. Insight. Insight. I think both those are good, but both insight and awakening is a little bit can be a little bit more cognitive, like an understanding, as opposed to a, a um, reforming. So tra- transformation, a reformation, reforming something, embodiment. embodiment. Something that becomes embodied, embodied values. Metanoia? I've heard the word. I don't quite know what it means. I don't know what it means. Yeah. Yeah, great. Metanoia. Shifting. Shifting. Also in the Western, the Christian tradition, they call it spiritual formation. Is how a person's being formed. In Buddhism, we're so much into letting go that forming something, it seems like kind of, you know, doesn't get quite the same emphasis, but definitely Buddhist practice involves forming and deforming. (laughs) Unforming. (laughs) Conditioning. Deconditioning and conditioning both go together. Metabolizing. Metabolizing. Something's well metabolized. Integrating, so something so then it's not just we might have an understanding, but it hasn't been integrated into our being and hasn't become embodied, or so integration. Actualized. Actualized. So, so the person intends to be ethical, but it took a while before it was actualized into becoming an ethical person. Hmm? Harmony. Harmony. So, so everything's in harmony, working together, ethical harmony. Good. So, here's the. I'd like. I'd like to suggest that you do pairs again. No, I think. So. I think what I like. Let's see. What, what's the numbers here? And the pairs doesn't work. Let's do groups of three. Maybe groups of three. It's a little bit. Maybe you're more comfortable. Um, because you only have to share. Remember what you feel comfortable sharing. 
So start off with with the topic of how have you, in what ways have you been transformed over your lifetime, not just through practice necessarily, how have you been transformed over your lifetime so you are now more ethical than you once were? And ethical here doesn't mean that, you know, you know now, now you don't go around killing anymore, you know, because probably none of you do that anyway. But ethical can mean you're much more um, tuned in, attuned to not causing harm of any kind. You're tuned in to not causing harm, and um, intentionally or unintentionally. So, if so that might be more relevant, because you're not, I guess most of you are not going out to eager to go out there and break the precepts. And so what, 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 in what ways have you been transformed? What, what's transformed inside of you so you are now more ethical than you once were? <clears throat> Is that okay? What? Yes. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes when I give these questions, they're not meant to be very specific. They're, <clears throat> they're meant to be evocative in a particular domain of life. So whatever way that comes out of you in response that's meaningful for you. So, <clears throat> so as you talk, the three of you, it doesn't have to be the, exactly the same. Kind of be nice to hear the range. So um, <clears throat> what I suggest this time is that uh, we'll do three minutes each. <clears throat> and then, um, and then uh, after those three minutes, we'll do a more open, uh, you'll have a more, time, more open discussion among three of you uh, to continue the conversation. You, um, just whatever way it seems to want to continue. You might want to tell, say more about yourself. Three minutes is not so long. Uh, you might explore some of the topics that came up. Just, you know, have a more ex- open day. And... Um, so, um, I'll keep time. I'm the timekeeper. So, if you could uh, find two other people to sit with, and then when you're ready, you can, one of you can volunteer to start, and I'll ring a bell when it's time to switch. I do feel kind of reluctant to uh, interrupt your conversations. It seems like these conversations can be so big, and you're given very little bit of time to do it, to have them. But hopefully we're keeping a good energy and it's nice to cover the different topics for today. So um, uh, I hope a little bit that uh, this gives you some deeper appreciation for the notion of personal transformation, personal change, personal reformation, personal... um, That there is a kind of deep change that can happen in people. And that deep change can affect our outlook on life, how we relate to the world, how we act, how we speak. And that part of what Buddhism is looking for is not, is, is not uh, some uh, abstract idea of understanding, but really a changed person. And, um, and the person becomes changed in some significant way so that they become compassionate, they become um, liberated, they become ethical, they be- they live for the benefit of the world. And so what is that transformation? And, uh, and what's the role of mindfulness? How does mindfulness support that process? I would like to believe that just becoming mindful <clears throat> is, the, is one of the answers. <clears throat> it isn't like mindfulness, <clears throat> you know, mindfulness 
sets the ground for some other transformation to happen. Mindfulness itself is a transformation. It's a change that happens in a deep way. <clears throat> and there are others as well, changes. So what I'd like to do is to take a break so we can come back and do our last session together before we end at 3.30. So let's, take, uh, let's start again in here at uh, 2.45. So it's a little bit less than 40 f- uh, and 15 minutes. So 2.45 we'll start and uh, do the last piece on speech. <clears throat> to Kevin, right? That one of the remarkable um, transformations that I think happens to some people is, uh, happens in the wake and going on a long, silent meditation retreat. It might not be a permanent transformation, but, um, you know, but, uh, you know, seven days, ten days into a retreat, faced with an ethical choice, most people are going to have a much higher ethical standard for deciding what to do than they would if, once they get back into the full swing of their life and all that. So, you know, so you might not give any concern, consideration at all in normal, ordinary life, swatting a, f- a fly or a mosquito. But 10 days into a retreat, people are so sensitive, like, oh my, that poor mosquito. <laughs> oh, you know, and it's not just because the mosquito is poor, but, but it's just, there's just a, a kind of a, sens- a sensitivity, kind of like a sensitivity in the heart, that it feels like a violence to yourself to kill the mosquito. You, you don't want to do it. And, and then maybe, maybe the analogy, I don't know if it works, is, is you know, some people uh, are willing to eat meat if the person who kills the animal is far away. The animal's far away, kind of out of sight. But if you own the cow, you, know, you just can't pull the gun, right? Because you know, look at the sweet little cow looking at you and, and you just can't do it. But if it's your neighbor's cow and you walk by it every day, you know, don't kill it, maybe. You know, it's kind of like, but, it's, but if it's a mile down the road, and you never see the cow, but it's still in your neighborhood, well, it's kind of okay. But it's not so nice, the feeling that every day you drive by a slaughterhouse and you know what goes on there, it just doesn't feel quite good, even though it's a mile away. But, but if it's another state, you know, it's out of mind, you don't think about it. So I think, that there's, I think there's a natural, I don't know if natural is the right word, but a natural uh, difference in how we approach ethical decisions based on proximity, for example, and based on, on, on intimacy and closeness what we feel to something. And when you're in retreat, there's an intimacy and closeness that you feel to things that, you know, if you go out, you know, downtown Redwood City and tell people you feel close and, to a mosquito, they'll think you're strange. You know, but uh, in, the, in the wake of being on a retreat, it makes complete sense. Then it wears off after a time, right? Yes. Um, just the quieting of the mind and the heart has a lot to do with it. Yes, the yeah. quieting of the heart and the mind is a lot that makes us makes us much more sensitive to the intimacy, the closeness, the inner feelings, the impact it has on us, and that tends to change our ethical choices, independent of the ethical evaluation. Right. And, and also that sort of like the boundaries of self and other seems the to... The boundary of self yeah. and other. There's no, no strong boundaries anymore, so you tend to feel the impact of things much more strongly. Yeah. Okay. So 
the ten skillful actions. So now we've covered the first four, which is uh, um, the same as the first four precepts. The fifth of the ten skillful actions is not having malicious speech. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's uh, translated as no divisive speech. And here's the, 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 the description of this from the suttas. One abstains from malicious speech. One does not repeat elsewhere what one has heard here in order to divide people, these people from those people. Nor does one repeat to these people what one has heard elsewhere in order to divide these people from those people. So you don't say things that divide people, create divisions. Um, Thus, one is one who reunites those who are divided. A promoter of friendships who enjoys concord, rejoices in concord, delights in concord, a speaker of words that promote concord. So on one hand, there's divisive speech that separates people and makes them kind of enemies or makes tension between people. On the other hand, there is speech that makes concord and brings people together. Um, so the precept is to abstain from divisive speech and to practice speech which brings people together. So I'd like in the last period we have to explore these two. Malicious speech, divisive speech on one hand, and then speech which brings is con- that rejoices in concord, that uh, reunites those divided, a promoter of friendships. Okay? And um, so what I'd like to do is to have this, uh, let's see the numbers. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, thirteen, fourteen. So I think what we'll do is um, uh, the men can meet together. And the women, I think there's 14 women, so if you could uh, divide into two groups of seven, and uh, then I'll tell you what to do. So I'm going to, rather rather than uniting you, I'm going to divide you. So this is the topic. So well, first the process. This time I would like to uh, suggest that you have just an open discussion. It's, it's a big group, seven people or so, six, seven people. So uh, uh, try to, all of, all, everyone be a little bit careful f- uh, so that everyone has a chance to speak. If one person, uh, if you feel like you're speaking a lot more than everyone else, maybe then kind of hold back a little bit so other people have a chance and try to have the conversation flow. Remember, when we went in a circle, the idea was to be brief, so it kind of flew, you know, went, went on round and around a few times. Now, maybe you want to be somewhat brief, but now it doesn't have to be a circle. Now it can be more popcorn style. Just have a conversation about this. So the first conversation is, um, what are the motivations and the conditions that support malicious speech? What are the conditions and intentions that make it easier for people to engage in divisive or malicious speech? Is that clear? Ask.
I think it could be either. But uh, I, think, I, I think it was either. Speech that causes harm. But uh, the description here is particularly is uh, that which is behind their back to divide, to cause harm indirectly as well. But I think either one is fine. So um, now the topic to switch the other side. What are the conditions and intentions that support speech that brings concord, speech that creates friendship, speech which brings together those who are divided? So I have here, uh, for those of you who don't have, didn't get it earlier, copies of the 10 skillful actions. <clears throat> Take it home and memorize them. And study, study them. But um, there, there, are, there are many different ways that um, kind of ethical behavior is described in the suttas. But in this particular one, <clears throat> uh, when we get to abandoning malicious speech, <clears throat> it, um, uh, it defines it not only by what you abandon, but also what you actively do. And here, it is one who reunites those who are divided, a promoter of friendships, one who enjoys concord, rejoices in concord, delights in concord, a speaker of words that promote concord. So, you know, it's one thing to be ethical by not causing any harm. It's another thing to put the energy in, engage yourself in the activity of being friendly, activity of uniting people who are divided, the activity of taking, of looking at situations and delighting. Three times they say in different ways, enjoys, rejoices, and delights in concord. It takes a little bit of purpose or energy or intention to focus, you know, really, really to get into it. This is really great to appreciate it in some, in some way. So here it's not just uh, precepts of abstention, but there's an encouragement or a guideline to, to a- actively do something. And this is what the encouragement is to do. I think that's very interesting. So to put your time out, spend time uniting people, and mediating, being friendly. So in sm- simple ways it means things like <clears throat> speaking well of people behind their back. <laughs> You know, if you have an opportunity to speak about people, um, you know, and you, and you appreciate them, let it be known that you appreciate them, not just to them, but to others. You know, that such so-and-so did a great job, and it was really great to whatever. And um, such a way that other people have a good, friendly feeling towards the person that you have. I think it's a wonderful thing to do. It's pretty easy to find faults in people. The way that... Uh, much popular conversation goes, you would think it's pretty hard to find good things in people. I think sometimes the juice and the energy of a conversation is sometimes is, you know, can, can you believe what that so-and-so did? Or, you know, we talk about the challenges and stresses we have, but to actually take time to promote concord, to prom- promote harmony, I think is a, is, a, is a beautiful thing to do, important thing to do. So now, uh, the thing for you to consider, we're running out of time, but this, this, uh, these, all these uh, guidelines here, 10 skillful actions, 
especially the ones of today, false speech, avoiding, abandoning false speech, abandoning malicious speech, being interested in ethics, interested in ethical transformation, becoming more ethical. Why is this important for someone on a path to liberation? Because sometimes, I ask the question partly because sometimes when we talk about ethics, um, uh, it's so easy for it to be interpreted as that uh, thou shalt this way. It's a commandment. And just like in order to be a basic good person, you should do these things. But the context of this kind of ethics is as a support and a foundation for a path to liberation. If you're interested in liberation, interested in this path, then this should be very interesting to you. So the, so the question is, does anyone want to propose some ideas why? Why in the world? Yeah. Cleansing. Cleansing. It's cleansing. Say more. How is it? Eating healthy food. You'll feel better. So you'll feel better. But I like to be free and do whatever I want. <laughs> it's about freedom, right? This path of Buddhism. Yeah, I agree with you. Thank you. Someone else? I was going to say sleep better. You sleep better. Nice. Less distracted. Less distracted. They say that if you uh, tell the truth, you have less to you have to remember. More grounded and being grounded supports the path. Sorry? You get to be alive and who you are. It's a lot better than being someone else. <laughs> creates good karma, good conditioning, good consequences, good what comes back to you. Creates a sense of harmony. Creates a sense of harmony and how does that help path of liberation? So if yeah, so if you if you do an, live unethically, then you're way down, and you're way down. You can't be set free. Unethical activities, shortcuts, yeah. Shortcuts in the short term. Maybe. Maybe. Sometimes sometimes they're shortcuts in the moment, but, you know, they're long paths. Like, you know, I I mean, some of these, like when Jacques Verdant comes here and he talks about these prisoners, and they took shortcuts, in a sense. And then, you know, it took just a few seconds, a few minutes to do what they did, but then they're spending... 30 years in prison.
living with ethics is the natural uh, transformation from uh, the understanding or realization of interconnectedness. Mm. So when you, when you uh, realize interconnectedness to each, with each other, everything, then uh, we want to live in harmony with that, then we want to be ethics, ethical. It's kind of like if you, you don't go around with a fork and stab your right hand, or, you know, because, you know, so when you realize that everyone is your right hand, uh, you know, everyone's connected in some kind of deep way, and of course you don't want to hurt others because you're hurting yourself. Great, that was nice, thank you. So, um, next time we meet, uh, I thought we would, uh, there's two more of these things having to do with speech. No harsh speech and no, uh, here it says gossip. And, um, and I thought we would do maybe half the day on that. And then the precept that's left out, of this, the, the five precepts, one of them is not included in the ten skillful actions. No, no alcohol and drugs. And I thought it might be nice to spend a little bit of time looking at that one as well. And uh, so maybe half the day on each of these. And then after that, uh, in March we won't meet. Start again in April. And in April we'll do, start looking at the two uh, ethical actions that have to do with mental actions. These ten are divided into three categories. The first th- um, three are behave- physical behaviors of the body, killing, stealing, and sexual misconduct. The next four are speech. And the last three have to do with mind. So it gets more subtle. So we'll look at April on, on uh, greed, and in, uh, I guess, May, we'll look at um, ill will. S- yes? Can I say something? Um, that, that it would seem to me, I'm just thinking about interconnectedness, works well in times of plenty and, and does not work in times of, uh, of scarce resources. It's, um, yes, I agree. The, um, um, there are, it's, it's um, how would I say, that's a whole topic mm-hmm. that, um, that is, uh, you know, deserves that kind of consideration. And um, often it's not looked into. What's been pointed out by some people is that uh, in, the, in, in the Buddhist cultures that emphasized the most, the times in Buddhism when they most emphasized interdependence, interconnectedness, were in, the, the situ, in, in uh, situations of affluence. So there's, what you're bringing up is an interesting one. And um, for people who are impoverished and oppressed, interconnectedness is not good news. So this whole question of interconnectedness, and then, but then there's some Buddhists who feel, not just Buddhists, but there's other spiritual people who see it as a very deep and profound um, um, religious truth, the idea of interconnectedness. And some of them, it's a mystical experience in the sense that there's some, a change of consciousness that can happen in certain states where there's a you know, radical feel, a feeling of interconnectedness that is just so palpable that's nothing to do with an evaluation or judgment. It's just like, but it's a mystical state. And so it, some people say it, it's, it's the ultimate state so there's a lot. That whole topic is a fascinating one and very important to explore. I, I wrote an article in the newsletter. You find it, I guess, on the website. Um, about this topic. Oh, I, 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 uh, I kind of, to be a little more provocative, tried to be. 
<clears throat> I titled it uh, Relational and Non-Relational. The non-relational, relational and non-relational world. And I, I talk about these two sides, about dependence and interdependence, or independence, interdependence. And, and uh, so you can, some of this is addressed there. So um, let's go around and say names. And uh, sometimes the tendency for it to go faster and faster as you go around. But if you can just take your time and we have a chance to digest your name. Cheryl. Dawn. Mary. Bonnie. Liz. Jeff. Judy. Evan. Marilyn. Ellen. Kevin. Steve. Amy. Fiona. Catherine. Beatrice. Marie. Steve. Rob. Richard. And my name is Thank You. <laughs> Thank you. I feel very, feel very grateful. I appreciate it. I appreciate it a lot that you participated in this day. And I think it's a wonderful topic. And uh, something that I felt for a long time I wanted to explore was this kind of explore the mind connections, the interface of mindfulness and ethics. And this year has given me a chance to do that. So I'm grateful for that and your involvement and your willingness to engage in the conversations. I hope they've been meaningful for you. I hope they've been giving you something further to reflect on and live by and be transformed by. Are there maybe seven people who can stay behind a few minutes to clean up the simple cleanups we have to do? The vacuum here and the bathrooms. and So, so one, two... Three, four, five, six. Is there one more? I think it's good to have one more. It goes pretty quickly, 10 minutes. Great, thank you. And, uh, and Dawn is the manager. You might check with her which bathrooms to do and stuff. And, and um, so travel well. Thank you very much. And see you maybe next month. <laughs>